This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the island, the the, the raft, um, the black smoke pit. I mean, wh wh wherever you're at right now um, on this island or off the island, uh, there's a lot of places you could be. Probably a hatch, more than likely. We don't know, but we'll find that out here soon. This is episode number 23 of Previously on Lost. In this one, we're going to be covering the last two parts of the three-part finale. Still one of the longest finales for the season of any show I've ever seen. Exodus Parts 2 and 3. And I could not talk about all the explosiveness and all the, the in-memoriams uh, without my trusty co-host. So tonight, I am Mike, and I have with me Corey. How's it going? It's going well, man. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. I discovered a new soda. A new soda. What what was what flavor is this? So every time I find a new soda that I absolutely love, they end up not making it. They <laughs> they stop making it for some reason. Ah, so of course. Pepsi Blue was back in the early 2000s. I liked Mountain Dew, Dew Shine. And then <laughs> Dew Shine. So they so they stopped making these things. And now I was like, well, I'm a huge Dr. Pepper drinker, so I drink Dr. Pepper all the time. Okay. Um, I decided to try their Dr. Pepper and Cream, their, the, the new one they just had come out. And I absolutely love it, and they'll probably cancel it because I like it. Honestly, sounds sounds pretty good. Compared so, to to Pepsi Blue, I don't... That was amazing. It was like is, Blue Raspberry Pepsi. Blue is not a flavor, or... You can get it in Indonesia still, but you can't get it here. <laughs> I, I was still a big fan of the short-lived clear Pepsi, or crystal, crystal Pepsi. That was a good Clear Pepsi. Oh, man. I, I, my goodness. How is quarantine going for you guys? Well, I've started to make a list of all of my favorite sodas. <laughs> uh, no, uh, quarantine's going pretty well. I'm, I'm still working, so... It doesn't feel as different for me, but then every once in a while I, I see these little pieces of my life that remind me that it, things are definitely not normal. So it's it's been an interesting experience, but luckily I'm doing really well. So happy about that. Good. Good. You guys? Steven, how about you, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. Um, you know, not, not too exciting here during quarantine, but just uh, glad to be um, healthy and and at the moment so <laughs> good good i i woke up this morning and i'm going to do something in my kitchen i don't know what i was going to do in my kitchen but i went to do something in my kitchen and and um i, I opened the microwave up and there was a salt shaker <laughs> in my microwave and like almost immediately i'm <laughs> like have i been on quarantine that long that i don't remember putting a salt shaker in my microwave for some reason it was in there all night long 
that was the mystery ever solved or no we still don't know i looked at my wife because she was standing right next to me and i said did you put this in here she said no i was like i don't remember doing it either i said have we been on quarantine that long we were completely losing track of everything oh it was great it was wonderful uh but hey you're not here to, we're not here to talk about salt in microwaves we are here to talk about <laughs> loss so i am excited about getting into this episode uh, we are we are looking forward to what we have coming up in the next episode as well um but we're going to talk about the finale of season one i can't believe we made it all the way into the finale and uh, a lot of mysteries came and a lot of um, questions were asked around this time this came out so we'll, we're excited to dig into that uh, as far as this episode is going to go we are doing Exodus 2 and 3. Now, for those who don't know, we'll get into this in just a second. Um, originally, this was a one-part finale. I believe it was originally one part, and it ended up being like 86 minutes long. And then uh, they decided to, hey, let's make it into two parts. So you have parts 2 and part 3, technically Exodus episodes 24 and 25. Okay, so... Um, but we're, so we're just going to keep them together for sake of, I don't want to have to split up. Yeah. You know, we already thought it was confusing. You know, we've been talking about it for weeks, like one, two, and three, and then reading about like why it ended up being that way. It actually makes sense. The whole thing is really confusing from, you know, uh, ABC to the writers and the, and everybody. It, it seemed like it was a confusing production. Oh yeah. It was, it was. I don't know, man. I don't know why they even had to. I know they changed it in Canada first and the United States before they airing it anywhere else as as two parts. It was it was weird. Um, but but hey, we're gonna cover it as one giant episode. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this episode. Uh, something new. We want you to kind of be aware of how many days we've been on the island now. Uh, we have been on the island 44 days in this episode. They have been stuck on the island for 44 days. So what happened last time on Lost, Stephen? All right. Previously on Lost, the Oceanic Flight 815 suffers a mid-air breakup and crashes on a mysterious island in the South Pacific. A few of the survivors attempt to use the transceiver to send out a distress call, but instead pick up a signal of a French woman that has been repeating on a loop for 16 years. Saeed follows a cable on the beach and meets the French woman herself, Danielle Rousseau, before she lets him go, she warns Saeed to watch his people carefully. After Claire is attacked in her sleep, Hurley conducts a census of the other survivors using the plane's manifest and warns Jack that one of them wasn't on the plane. Locke addresses all the survivors on the beach, telling them that they need to stop suspecting each other and worry about the threat that they all know about, the others on the island with them. Danielle ventures into the beach camp early one morning and warns them that the others are coming pointing out a plume of black smoke on the horizon that she and her companions saw the day that they came for her baby. Jack reveals his plan. Using dynamite from the black rock, he will blow open the hatch that Locke found and hide the survivor in the inside. Dr. Leslie Arts offers to come along to help with handling of the dynamite. Jack, Kate, Locke, Hurley, and Arts set off with Danielle, while Michael, Walt, Sawyer, and Jen set sail on the raft. All right. Yeah. When you break that into was an extensive previously on law. They really wanted to <laughs> yes. set the scene. Recap for, the whole scene. Nice job, Stephen. 
you know, when you break it down like that, there's just a whole lot of Rousseau in there. You realize how important she was to season one. She's in like every single bullet point, pretty much. You know, one of the funniest things about this episode, and I laughed hysterically on this episode, was when, was when, of course, we'll get into it when when Aaron gets taken. When the, you, you laugh when Aaron gets <laughs> taken? No, no. Wow. <laughs> let, me, let me keep going. So when Aaron gets taken, you hear hear you hear that accent from Claire. That's my baby. That's <laughs> my baby. You just hear it the whole time. I just okay. lose it. Um, I understand that. Laugh okay. when kids get taken. It's terrible. Uh, but a little bit. So it was season one, at this episodes 24 and 25, both aired, or it aired on May 25th of 2005. It was directed by Jack Bender and written by none other than Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse. As with the previous episode, Exodus Part 1 flashbacks show numerous characters in Sydney's before they board their doomed flight. With the dynamite retrieved, the team faces the task of bringing the volatile substance back across the island to the hatch. Meanwhile, Charlie and Saeed set off to rescue Aaron after Danielle kidnaps the child from Claire. All right. Well, very interesting setup. We've got uh, some additional factoids for you here. Uh, in this episode, Claire reveals the name of her baby for the first time, Aaron. Uh, yeah, sweet Aaron. Sweet Aaron. No longer turn up. No longer turn up. <laughs> yeah, no, that was disappointing. I thought that might win, but no. And anyways, in this episode, um, this is actually the third highest rated season of Lost. Uh, behind behind seasons four and five, according to IMDb, uh, all three seasons are separated by one one hundredth of a point. Uh, wow. This season averaged uh, to a rating of each episode averaged a rating of uh, eight point seven five, and no episode dips under eight point zero. So it's pretty good. That's pretty good. I I am doubting. Uh, IMDB is a good source though because I don't think well no four I would consider four one of the the best seasons but I don't know about five so oh see five is like my favorite see one of my absolute favorite seasons all right all right well maybe so I love them all I I think (laughs) yeah I do I think I think what that illustrates though is the fact that as we all said that the worst episode of Lost is better than most anything else on TV even the bad episodes are not that bad yeah. Oh, listen. Wait till you get to season two. My least favorite season of the entire show is season two. Oh, that's my well, that's I, my favorite. <laughs> I'll I'll clarify this whole thing with this note. This season has twenty three episodes, right? This is the twenty third episode. Uh, It'd be twenty fourth and twenty. No, this is twenty fourth and twenty fifth episode. Oh, okay. You just yeah, you read it like thirty seconds ago. I can't remember it. Uh, <laughs> yes. Sad. So there's twenty five episodes, and season. four uh, four and five, I think both have like 14 to 16, some, somewhere in that range. So, you know, this season with 25 episodes manages to give us, you know, 25 with a rating of eight or higher, eight out of 10. That's really dang good. Uh, whereas Absolutely. like season two and three, they have some all time great moments, but overall, you know, the, the whole season doesn't hold up. There's, there's some episodes that are probably like rated six or seven, uh, quite a few, and then of course there's some nines and tens in there, so not as consistent. Mm. 
It's going to be interesting when we get to Season 2, though, because Season 2 is very divisive among among the Lost fans. You have people who absolutely love Season 2. You have people who absolutely hate Season 2. I, I, I don't hate Season 2, but I kind of float in the middle. I'm not a big fan of Season 2. But there are some great episodes. I, but but as, but as a season as a whole, I was generally unimpressed. I think I think they wasted a lot of people in that season. I think of season two is that one friend that you kind of get into trouble with, and you, and you're like, I don't want to be around that person. Like, keep me away. But it, then as soon as you're with them, you're like, oh, I love this person. They're so charismatic. They're so much fun <laughs> to be around. Because I feel that way about season two. But then whenever I put it on, I thoroughly enjoy it. So who knows? Hmm. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, but anyways, I got some more facts here for us. Um, at the end of this episode, after Hurley boards the plane, he can be seen reading uh, a Spanish a Spanish language comic book that Walt, uh, I think it's I think it is Spanish. Um, it is. Yeah, was reading on the on the island earlier. So you know, this is a little mystery from where did that comic book come from. Trust me, that's one of the only very few mysteries Lost will actually solve for you, is where that's probably come from. <laughs> oh. One of the few, yes. And then, so in the last two minutes of this episode, um, there is no spoken dialogue whatsoever. Kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. You get the montage, and then you have the the hatch, uh, slow-mo sequence. But I'll tell you something. Michael Giacchino's musical score the last two minutes where it was happy then sad then happy then mysterious just flowing from one to the other absolute perfection in music oh totally he he says way more with that music than anybody could have said with any dialogue oh yeah okay so this episode marks the the first appearance of mc gainey aka tom friendly aka the guy with the beard who kidnapped Walt, uh, <laughs> though the character is not named until the second season finale. So this is one of our one of our first villains besides uh, the couple we've had this this season. Uh, and then, according to Damon Lindelof, a flashback for Vincent had been planned for this episode. <laughs> I never knew this. The scene would show. It's terrible. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> But you, you know what? This probably would have been like the number one favorite scene of all time for the this, this show. Just It could have taken place instead of expose. <laughs> well, so the scene would show Vincent's experience at the airport. Um, I guess getting in the luggage, walking around, sniffing things. However, the details of the scene were spoiled by the press, so the producers decided not to shoot it since it was not important and was only an in-joke. I feel like oh it still could have been worth it, but... Or maybe like a little web webisode or something. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, in an interview for Lost, the official magazine, Damon Lindelof explained that this episode was originally one hour long, including commercials. Uh, this would make the season one finale two parts, uh, aired over two weeks. ABC then asked them to write a 90-minute episode, but they overwrote the 90-minute mark, so they divided it into three parts, which gave us this two-hour episode. That's a little confusing. Yeah. So it was going to be one episode one week, one the next. Then they're like, oh, let's do one a little bit longer. And then they couldn't do 90 minutes, so 
yeah, whatever. Two hours it is. Right. When you look at the actual runtime of this episode, it's like 86 minutes. If you add that to the like 42 minutes from the previous episode, you're looking at a little over two hours of a season finale without commercials. That's a long finale. That's a lot of filming. It's, it is very long. And when you look at what happens in this episode, you know, they, they really just take their time with everything because it's not like at this point there's only like what like three or four different groupings of characters you know and yeah. once we get later into lost in like you know many other tv shows that have big casts you have like six seven different groups uh of characters and it's so hard to keep track of this was pretty you know s- small scale uh comparatively and it's great oh yeah so i don't think there wasn't a lot that you'd really want cut out here so i'm i'm glad they they filmed a little extra, because um, I think the result was a was a really good final product. Yeah, absolutely. We, we get a lot of dialogue between Locke and Jack and Kate and Hurley, that group. And I feel like I was trying to figure out what could have been cut. I think maybe a few of those scenes could have been trimmed down a little bit. But some of those those uh, scenes have dialogue that set up the entire rest of the series. People draw back to a lot of those conversations late in season six. There's a lot of references to man of science, man of faith. Yeah. This episode set a ton of groundwork in that department. Uh, and we'll talk about the interactions of, of Jack and Locke here in this episode. That was, it was an amazing episode for those two. So, all right. Here we go. This is where we discuss this episode now. This is where we we dig deep and um, and and we really look at a lot of stuff um, that 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 takes place in this episode. And and what do you guys got? What what where do you want to start first? Well, there are so many things we could start off. We could do the the whole Kate Jack Locke. We, uh, uh, Arts and Hurley group, we could take care of the Saeed and Claire and Charlie Rousseau group, uh, the Raft crew. Where, which group? Because there's only like three groups, really, in this. And by the way, it's not Scott, it's Steve. You know, somebody was <laughs> snuggling next to Steve in this episode because Scott, Scott was killed. But, uh, but Stacey, we. Stacy, Stacy, Stacy. Stacy. Her husband and two kids. Uh, so. Which one of the three groups do we really want to hit at first? I, I want to say maybe we should start with the uh, the baby napping, if you will. The, uh, the the camp, you know, packing up, trying to move to the caves. The, the Saeed storyline, I think, is kind of a good way to okay. start. I think that's where the episode started. Um, that, really some interesting stuff. You know, Claire... You know, struggling, you know, Aaron was crying, trying to get her stuff packed and kind of like where she's, you know, she said, nobody, nobody taught me how to do this. You know, so you, you see her now, you know, as a mother, but you forget, you know, she, she wasn't planning on being a mother, you know, that's so it kind of an interesting, you know, way to start off when you come to immediately after that, how, you know, upset she is when the baby's taken um, yeah. you get a little bit of, you know, levity with Charlie coming in with the baby Bjorn, you know, he came up with a, a way to carry the baby, you know, starts off kind of light, 
um, you know, helpful Charlie, and then, you know, tries to get a gun from Saeed. You got a nice little conversation there about, remember what happened last time you had a gun? And it, I thought it was kind of nice that Charlie was still unapologetic about it. He's like, yeah, I, I killed a, a murderer. I, I don't feel bad about that at all. So. Um, yeah, I thought that story was a good moment where they, they brought everything full circle. Like you have Charlie and Claire who had this great relationship and it kind of fell apart after Charlie got that gun the last time and now he's getting it back and he doesn't want to fully apologize, but he doesn't, he, he, you know, definitely wants to act smarter this next time. So I think it's a, it's a cool dynamic between those two. And then I, I think what's really interesting to look at with Claire, if you think about the series as a whole and you look at Danielle and Claire and how, you know, Danielle's like this crazy Island lady who's willing to steal a baby and then look what happens to, to Claire, whatever, three some years later, she becomes like the new Rousseau. It must be what happens to anybody who's a mother on the island. Uh, they just go straight and ballistic. And yeah, if you it's, it's straight crazy. Well, but I if think you have could, your child taken. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. the important denominator there. It's the fact that both of them lost their their child and you know Danielle hasn't given up on getting hers back even 16 years later and Claire well she took a different approach she uh she you know adopted a squirrel so yeah, squirrel, <laughs> oh baby. my gosh <laughs> squirrel oh, baby I forgot about squirrel that baby. oh my no I I, I enjoyed this storyline I enjoyed Saeed I, I liked it when Charlie punched Saeed <laughs> Yeah, like grabbed him by the throat. Is like you really don't want to do that again. <laughs> yeah. Well, d- to bring bring this back to Saeed for a second, I think what started this whole situation because you know Saeed is leading everyone away, so Saeed should be in charge of making sure you know Claire and Charlie and the unnamed baby are with them, but. He just goes ahead, and I think it's because in the scene before he gets distracted. You know, he he makes up with Shannon for the first time. They you know that they've, they've yeah. talked for a long time, and he offers to carry her bag and go ahead. You know, carry Boone's stuff and lead the group. And then you know somehow nobody. I, I never got like why are the you know why is the two the most vulnerable person the two most vulnerable people Claire and the baby why are they back at camp and nobody's with them so little bit of an error, I think, by Saeed or whoever whoever's supposed to have the back of the group. But then it forces them into this, this uh, tricky situation. Well, if you, if, you, if you think, though, too, the, the whole thing for the whole thing for Saeed was every other leader had left in that group. I mean, except I mean, Jack yeah. was gone, Lack was gone, Kate was gone. So, so Saeed was on the raft, not Saeed, but Sawyer was on the raft. Michael, the only, right? Michael was gone. So the only one left was really was Saeed. Yeah. So it, it's it's a lot of responsibility on him to have to. All right, who do I, who do I trust to go out and try to get Claire's baby? We, I mean, I know where they're going. I mean, he didn't really have anybody he could look at because if he was sitting Charlie by himself, Charlie would have killed Rousseau. Yeah, he, we saw that because even when they met her at the Black Smoke, he was still going off. I felt bad for her 
Charlie was just going off on her. Oh, totally. You know, what Saeed probably did is he's probably like, hey, Steve, make sure you go get Char- uh, Charlie and Claire. And like, well, yeah, oh, that- Steve's dead. Well, nobody nobody went. Or Is it Steve or is this guy? I always forget who died. I mean, the, yeah, the, there was certainly some other background characters that could have been helping him out here. But, I mean, I, I think throughout the whole series, Saeed really has been a leader. You know, Saeed is certainly the most, you know, maybe along with Locke, the most capable um, person as far as keeping a group safe. Um, and, you know, he, I, th- I do think he made a little error here not, you know, listening to Charlie and not giving him a gun to protect Claire. I, I mean, I, I think it was a mistake, and I think he kind of realized it when, you know, he gets punched, and that's probably why he handled that well he's like yeah you know i probably should have given him a gun he he was worried about this and he was right so i don't know if that's how you guys read it but that's kind of how i read it see i i didn't see that i don't think he should have given charlie a gun because charlie was charlie was going at it from a from an emotional standpoint not a logical standpoint but and and i I understand the baby got taken i understand the baby got taken though but Whose fault really is that? But I'm also saying be- before the baby got taken, you know, Claire a- or Charlie asked for the gun to protect Claire before the baby was taken. So I think when the baby was taken and Charlie's fears were, you know, kind of correct, I think maybe he then. I, I mean, I understand him not wanting to give Charlie a gun to go get the baby back, but as far as to protect Claire, if you know, it, you know, would have been handled. But the timeline. But the timeline doesn't work, though, because if he had asked Saeed for a gun, and if Saeed had given him the gun, they were still off doing something else when the baby got taken. Well, no, because so the Bruce... gun would have so, 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 so the gun would have not even done him any good. Well, the, well, really, the thing is, uh, Charlie should have been smarter than to leave Claire alone with Danielle. But he didn't know. The best thing to do was when she came up, he should have said, "All right, well, the three of us, you know, or the four of us." are all going to go together to catch up with Saeed and talk to him. I'm not going to leave you, go get Saeed, come back. That was the that was yeah, his that, biggest, you know, goof. That that was an error for sure. Um, and I I think it's kind of interesting uh just Saeed's, you know, said there's a lot of blame to go around. So I also think he yeah. kind of feels guilty for, you know, trusting Rousseau and letting her into the camp and listening to her. Um, I think there's a little bit of guilt on Saeed's part for that. Yeah, well, overall, then, everybody makes they make the right reaction. They right. just put it aside and go out there, and they make a pretty awesome team. This is it's kind of fun seeing them run through the jungle, and then Charlie gets his uh, you know war wound, <laughs> the the gunpowder. I'm I, I I'm not a medic. Yeah, but you were a soldier, right? What'd you guys do out there? <laughs> Oh, oh, I, I, that, that scene makes me cringe every time I watch it. I always love that scene. There's just something about it. Just the way Charlie I mean, I liked with his it British too, accent. It's, it's one of those things that hurts to watch. You can you can feel that how bad that's got to hurt him. Oh yeah, yeah. Charlie had a rough oh, season one. I mean, between getting hung out of a tree and his he's method, gonna have a rough season two. Yeah, he he's had, he had a rough time on the island. That, that guy took a beating. So this this would I be believe, a good. I, I believe Echo is good is going to be the one dude to do to do major crap beating in Charlie's season yeah. two. Charlie's going to get a couple beatings next season. I think Locke is on that list as well. Yeah. 
Well, so, speaking of Charlie, a lot of characters have a really good like redemption arc. I feel like in this episode where they they like you know kind of tie a nice bow on their season, kind of like uh, Shannon and, and Saeed and stuff. Well, Charlie, they just give him the worst cliffhanger. Like, hey, yep. you're the heroin addict. Here is like a hundred bags of heroin. This would last you forever. Here you go. Oh man. And he doesn't have Locke there to even help him or talk him out of it either. I mean, it's just, it's that first time when you see him actually take it um, in season two is rough because you realize how far he had come since he stopped taking it. And then he starts, and it starts it all over again. But yeah, that, that whole, you know, that was actually one of my, one of my points too. Uh, Charlie taking the Mary, taking the Virgin Mary statue again, and you see it in his bag. Well, here, yeah, it's, it's a huge moment. Here is kind of my thought too: it, Do you think Saeed does he know about Charlie's addiction? Was he he wasn't a big part of that storyline? But do you think he knew about this um, when he stopped and told Charlie about it, or do you think it was just coincidence? You know, I was I, I was just going to ask the same exact thing because the way Saeed says it, just like heroin, and you know, throws down the statue and it breaks apart it totally makes it seem like he knows what he's doing. And you think Saeed, he's this astute, aware guy. He'd be able to figure out, like, frankly, sorry, Charlie, but you kind of look like a junkie. And uh, Well, and he also, you know, he said they were stopping for a rest, and they stopped for all uh, 30 seconds and kept going. You know, it wasn't really much of a rest there. So that's I, I wonder what Saeed's thinking was there and if Charlie just snuck that mary's statue or is you know saeed was aware of it if maybe he was possessed by the man in black at the same time too (laughs) (laughs) it's all a setup no i I, yeah that was that was a very interesting scene did he know or did he not know i don't think he knew i think that that at a certain point saeed could have been suspicious but i think if you've lived with with somebody on an island for now where it's day 44 you know, you've interacted with him a lot for like 30 some days where he's been clean. You would think like this guy's trustworthy. I would have noticed him if he was on drugs this whole time. So I think he, you know, he, he's probably not suspicious of Charlie at this point. Cause it's, you know, how many days has it been? It's probably been 28. I don't know yeah. what he probably had his stash for a week or what. I can't remember whenever that episode early on, the moth it's probably like a weekend to them being on the island or, or less yeah yeah I, I i can look it up as we um but i do uh, think we continue talking you know i think charlie has has a great story in season one and he's one of like the most important characters that really draws in the audience like he's the reason why a lot of people keep watching because he's funny You're like how what do i know that guy from oh yeah oh he's like he's a hobbit right oh that's cool like he was one of the biggest draws, like at first, and he has a pretty good, you know, part for the whole season. I do think that we see like the most important Charlie storytelling in season one. I think you know later on he he never has as an important uh, as a role as he does like in the first first season for sure. Okay, so right, I I I agree. His role gets a, to- a ton better. Uh, the moth, 
episode was when he starts to feel the the withdrawals. That's day eight on the island. So you're about right. It's, it's, it's about about a week. So in about a week's time, he he ran out of um, he ran out of heroin. Yeah. So for the majority of the time that everybody has known Charlie, he seems like this happy go lucky guy, right? He doesn't seem like he has an issue. Yeah. But that was a, that was a very good, interesting group of people that they paired together. You don't get a lot more scenes with Charlie and Saeed. Uh, you, you don't, you know, there's very interesting, um, I wonder what Charlie would have been like in season six if he had made it through with Saeed again, because I think that could have been a, an awkward friendship that probably would have been something, something pretty cool to see seasons down the road. I would have loved to see Charlie stay in the show the whole time. And apparently the original plan was to have him be a member of the Oceanic Six and stick around. But I think Dominic Monaghan, he, he basically said, hey, my role has slowly been diminishing from like a lead to like a recurring character. And he wanted to like go out with a bang. He, he felt like there wasn't enough. And understandably, most of the characters, like the people who are more like action oriented, they kind of get, you know, pushed to the top. And the people that are like funny, just funny and, and uh, um, not so action hero like, they get pushed to the bottom. I heard that theory, but I also heard the theory that there was such a devout following to, 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 to Charlie from the fans that. They pretty much push the directors and says, "You won't, you won't ever kill off this guy. He's got plot armor." And almost the directors looked at him and said, "Well, here we go then. Watch this." And they almost like you know, like 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 a you know, look look at this to the fans. So I've heard both arguments for that. Yeah, I just know that that Dominic really, whether it's it's what you say or or what I have heard. Either way, he he thought it was an awesome idea, and he was totally on board. He was like, he wasn't one of these people who was mad he was being killed off. He's like, this is going to be an epic way yeah. to go. I mean, I think it was that's still one of the best deaths. I hate to say it like that, one of the best best deaths in the show. I think it's one of the uh, most memorable deaths, right? You know, right television there with arts. <laughs> right there with arts. Everybody remembers. Oh arts. my gosh, arts. Oh, so speaking of arts, then let's do it. Let's go to the let's go to the Jack, Locke, Kate, Arts, and Hurley group, and we and then we can finish up with the with the Raft crew because that one's interesting. Uh, so let's do it. Um, well, I just wanted one last thing before we move on. I just want to say I think this is the first moment where Claire fully trusts Charlie when she when she's breaking down and she wants to go with them and she realizes like i can't like this is not going to work out and she just yeah. you know says bring him back charlotte and that's like a classic line there that we will get little previously unlost <laughs> segments back to in the future <laughs> should trust him that much and i i guess kind of an important part of that whole storyline we haven't mentioned is the fact that she finally named the baby um you know kind of right. significant um Thoughts on like Sorry, we she got Aaron. where where did that name come from? Any you know she 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 didn't have an answer to tell people, but any thoughts on where she got the name Aaron? 
Well, I definitely think the the uh, writers know how to mess with the audience, and Aaron is one of the first names in the Bible. So they're thinking like, let's just go with the oldest name we could possibly get. That way, people have to go through that many more references because there's probably more Aaron's in human history than a lot more people because it's like a super old name. So just to drive us crazy, I think they chose Aaron. They certainly do like and to he, go biblical he, for sure. And he never got that that ring from Charlie. <laughs> he never received it. Um, I'm trying to think of why. Well, Aaron is a popular name for both a boy and a girl. Right. Um, I really it doesn't so should to say or explain. I'm looking at his his profile right now. It doesn't really say why. Um, she named him Aaron. Um, but, anyways, I want to say that matter. people said that that Aaron is a name that's tied to like hope and leadership and strength and maybe she yeah. didn't necessarily know that but but that was why Aaron was you know Aaron because Aaron kind of becomes this beacon of hope on the show and in the fandom he becomes even stronger uh, in the mythology people think Aaron is going to be you know, yeah I remember like, for sure when it was airing there was a lot of theories about Aaron and Walt and then in the future Gion and just about how important these kids were going to be um, didn't necessarily play out that way, but there was certainly a lot of theories at the time. Yeah. Well, all right. So go go ahead. I say, anyways, we, we want to switch Jack over and and talk some yeah, Hurley. Let, yeah, let's talk some Hurley Arts, that whole crew, and Jack and all them. Because it's like um, this is like the biggest chunk at the beginning of the episode. We have this whole big, you know, arts dynamite chunk i think i swore it's like the first yeah. 15 minutes no there's a lot of little chunks of art <laughs> in this in this part no that is look that is that that whole scene to me let's just talk about the comedy scene before we get to the series part so he brings it out and he's he's insulting them like the whole time they're bringing this crate of dynamite out and then he picks it up and he wraps it in a shirt very carefully and then he just takes this breath like and then he starts talking and he just flings his hand like normal like nothing's wrong and boom he's he's gone well and he tells that great story of like the history of the guy who invented dynamite which is hilarious in its own right well nobody knows his name because he blew himself up Oh, and then Arts blew himself up, and then just a half, a little, like a little bit later, you know, they get everything wrapped up, and then Hurley's just got this death stare on Jack. <laughs> and Jack's like, "What's wrong, Hurley? He's, you got some arts on you." <laughs> it's just one of those lines I always remember in this. In this, I think I have a bobblehead in my office. I have the lost bobbleheads in my office. That's awesome. Um, and the only one I am missing is the Ben Linus because they only made like sixteen hundred of that one, and it's like outrageous to find it. Um, but I have the Leslie Arts one, and every time I look at it, his like on the base of the bobblehead is like a box of dynamite. Oh my gosh! So every, That's so cool. Every time, every time I see this bobblehead, I think of that line, dude. You got some arts on you. Yeah, it's his most memorable moment is blowing up. Oh. 
I'll see if I can. I'll see if I find out a picture <laughs> of that. So you I'd guys love can to, see. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Well, I, so the thing with uh, with Arched is, yeah, he's basically just brought in to to blow up in this moment, and it's it, it's an interesting moment for Lost because it is hilarious. But I don't think there wasn't very much like dark comedy in the show prior to this. I mean, we have we have some weird moments, like some funny moments with Hurley where. You know, we're laughing at some kind of morbid stuff with the bad luck, but this is definitely the the big moment, and I actually find it very uh, kind of Breaking Bad esque, like the type of humor they would have in Breaking Bad all the time, where it's like dark uh, but clever. Um, oh, there's the image. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. That's great. It makes me laugh every time. He's got like dirt all over his face, and he's standing on a box of dynamite, and he also has dynamite in his hands. <laughs> oh, I'll have to take a picture of all those bobbleheads I've got, and uh, and I'll, I'll definitely put it in the chat. But man, that that's hysterical to me. Oh, well, I love that. I feel like. Doc Arts, he he was kind of brought in to be the voice, uh, just to kind of give voice to, you know, the fans asking about what was going on in the background. You know, we they're like, well, you know, we follow these what, thirteen, fourteen main characters, but you know, there's all these characters on the island. Why do we never hear about them? And I kind of feel like Arts was the writers giving voice to to that to you know those questions. And then, you know, blowing it up, if you will, kind of um, addressing it and then using it in an entertaining way in the story. Yeah. What did you guys think of the conversation between Locke and Jack with the game of Operation? I, I think Locke... What a conversation. Locke is, Locke is a, you know, he loves his games... But the way the way he made the little buzz sound, it was just—I mean—he's a psychopath. It, it, <laughs> Did you okay. see? He's Jack's a funny psychopath. Face. Jack was so Man, ticked. We, Jack was like, "I can't believe that idiot just did right that." Right after, right after, you know, ours had blown up. <laughs> oh my! You know, you see, there's oh. a there's a very good moment in there where. Locke and and Jack seem to be really getting along. Like they're taking the dynamite out. They're having a very serious conversation. And there's right. a little level of, of playfulness when when Locke brings up uh, Operation, and they're still cool. And then as soon as Locke does the buzz thing, you see Jack's eyes. They go into like rage mode. He suddenly remembers like I remember why I hate John Locke. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yep. It's just like a flip that switched right there. They were they were trying to they they was actually building a rapport with Jack until he buzzed. <laughs> well, and then Jack he looks right into Locke's eyes and he's saying like, "You like games? You like games, Locke?" And Locke doesn't even look up. He's just smiling. Yeah, I love games. And it's like Locke is unaware that Jack is saying so much more with that with that sentence. And yeah, uh, yeah. and Jack expressed that to Kate later. Yeah, he uh, says we're going to have a lock problem, right? Right. He says we're going to have a lock problem. But that Jack and Kate dynamic was strained bad this episode. I think it came from the gel. Honestly, I think 
the reason Jack acted the way he did to Kate in this episode by pushing her away and switching backpacks and all that kind of thing from her. I think he's bitter and jealous at her growing relationship with Sawyer. And he hates that. See, I don't know. I I, I don't think I got that read on it. It's kind of an interesting take. Um, I kind of thought it was more of a just being protective of Kate, you know, not wanting her to blow up like art. So I kind of got a different read on it. So that's kind of interesting. Um. Okay. Yeah. I don't know where I fall on this. I I'm thinking about that right now. Yeah. It, I, I do like the dynamic as far as, as far as, uh, Jack and his leadership role. I think it's interesting how he brings up again, like you guys want me, you want me to be the leader until you, dislike a decision I make, which is totally mm-hmm. fair. And he says, I'm taking the dynamite. I don't care what you guys think. I'm the leader. I'm going to make the sacrifice. Now, you know, Locke, I think previously, not in this episode, had said like, hey, we shouldn't let the doctor die. Like, that's important. But Jack is not going to hear that. Well, and one thing that really stuck out to me is when the smoke monster did show up, you know, Locke and Jack both took their backpacks off and set them down before running away or Locke just standing there. But Kate did not. Kate ran with the backpack. So I kind of think that Jack may have made the right strategical call there because if Kate did have backpack, you know, did have the dynamite in her backpack, she didn't drop it. So if she's running away, that could have easily gone boom. We would have had yep. some Kate on us. <laughs> I mean that now 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 that scene. Let's talk about that. So the smoke monster grabs himself and John Locke and pulls because you know that the whole theory is there still, and pulls John Locke to the hole in the ground, and we'll find out where that hole leads to later on. But we he, she pulls he pulls Locke into the hole and Jack is saving him and um, the hole. <laughs> The whole time, Locke looks at Jack and says, Jack, let me go. I'll be okay. <laughs> Jack, let me go. I'll be okay. Jack's like, no. And Kate, and, and he tells Kate, you know, throw the dynamite in there. Throw the dynamite in there. So they only brought three to be safe. So now they only had two, but here's, here's a continuity error. On the hatch, they had three sticks of dynamite, not what? two. And they no, only they, took three. They took no, no, six, they took, right? They took six. They took two packs of three. Yeah, they took three in each backpack. Yeah, because that's jo- right. I don't know what <laughs> yeah. I was thinking. Okay, uh, I was thinking of the conversation earlier. He said, "Let's take how many you think we need, John? Two, but three to be <laughs> safe." Uh, so, um, so she throws it, and then when she throws it, she just grabs it with by the hand, like manhandles, and whack just throws. It. I mean, how did that thing not blow up in her hand? <laughs> it just, but um, but the smoke, you know, I'm, that's see, that's why John Lott knew he was going to be okay because the smoke monster was already in. Well, him. I. I- no, John is just stupid. That's why. <laughs> I'm telling you, by, by the end of this podcast, we are gonna. I'm gonna have you fully convinced that John Locke has already been possessed. Well, if he's been possessed, I, no, why I, is why is impossible. the smoke monster dragging him into the hole if he's already been possessed by the smoke? It's because because remember they're playing the long game. The man in black and and Jacob are playing the long game here. Just saying, that's well, just how it is. One thing I, I did think was interesting from this whole scene was the, what they started off part two or um, 
I guess maybe did they end part one with Locke looking up at the smoke monster? You know, a definite, you know, callback to episode, was it four, where, you know, he looked up and saw this, you know, was looking right at the smoke monster. Yeah, definitely a parallel scene, but, you know, he, he said before, you know, he looked and what he saw was beautiful. Well, this time when he looked up at the smoke monster, it definitely seemed like he was scared. Um, is that how you guys read that? Oh yeah, he has a, a look of, of terror in his eyes there for a second. No, he was he he was playing it <laughs> off for Jack. He knew what he was going. <laughs> well, I think who sees it first? Like it, it goes in front of uh, Kate and Jack, and, and doesn't Kate say like you you saw that right? <laughs> yeah. So that's like the first image, and it's like this puny little thing of smoke. You barely even see it, but we you know it is kind of an answer to a mystery somewhat. I, I don't know what people, I can't even remember what I thought of this back then. I don't know what people thought of it. Like, is it, a, Oh, I guess there's smoke. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know either. I, um, yeah. I'm again, I came into this show in the, in season two. I had watched it and had to go back and rewatch all of them. I I had so. or, well I had a similar experience. I started watching uh, season two with the Mister Echo episode. That was the first episode I'd ever watched. Had no idea what was going on in the show, and that was the episode where he stared down the smoke monster, which is a really cool scene. But obviously, as a person who never watched this show, that's you know that definitely set my mind racing, and you know maybe say, hey, I I really need to watch season one of this show and then i watched season one of the show and still had no more answers than after watching the random episode in season two but <laughs> but it was an enjoyable but, yeah pretty but, much yeah smoky i i, I don't That's think funny. anybody probably would have guessed that the smoke monster was what the smoke monster ended up being i don't think anybody had that thought oh no yeah, I don't know if people even understood it to be a pillar of smoke when they first saw this episode. They just, I mean, there's a little glimpse of it, but you don't know what that what that really is. But but anyways, like you know, he ta- he takes or it whatever grabs Locke and brings him down, and Locke is hanging on, you know, by you know on the edge there, and then Locke he still wants to go down there. It's it's so weird. Um. But it, but it definitely sets up a, this like really weird vibe because we think mm-hmm. we know a little bit more about this monster when really now we don't know anything. Like what? It's smoke. It's bringing him down to a hole. And Locke... The thing, the thing about Locke is he gets an idea that may be a, a correct idea of like, this is my destiny. This is like my path. I'm being like... I'm being drawn or pulled in this direction. And he's really good at saying yes and like like pushing forward but he can't like look back and like reanalyze because you know at earlier in the in the season he may have you know figured out that uh um that that uh the smoke monster isn't the ultimate enemy and in a way it's not totally the enemy on the island and that is kind of true but still he needs to be you know, afraid of this thing still. So it's like Locke, he has a hard time like building off. He gets really set in his ways. And that's like, it's ultimately, it's his, 
his downfall and you can see everything's already starting to crumble with his relationship with all three of these people yeah yeah what do you guys what do you guys think about hurley i think it's pretty cool that they include hurley on this adventure because throughout a lot of the season hurley is just like the guy at the beach and slowly he's added more and more when you look at this now like these are like a like you know maybe the core four of many of the seasons of the show yeah i don't think i don't think they planned on hurley being such a fan favorite in season one um and when he ended up becoming more and more popular. I feel like that's maybe why they started including him more toward the end of this season in different scenes and cuz you know nor, you know his biggest role before that was he went around asking people if they were on the manifest. I mean, he he didn't really have very many big roles and then as you've seen the series progress, now you've seen okay, now you had an episode where he had bad luck and he won the lottery and then you started to see him have more of a role on an island. Um he now he's he's going with the main group. I don't think they plan on him being such a favorite. And when he did, they're like, "Man, we really need to write him some more material." So of course now you're going to get a lot more Hurley next two seasons. Oh yeah, and I think you know Hurley. He didn't have a lot to do in this episode, but I still think he's fun. Like when he's sitting there with uh, Art and he's just <laughs> ignoring everything that Art says as he's like going yeah. on and on and on about. The gym teacher and the cafeteria and all this crap in his life. And Hurley's line is just like Hurley says. Hurley says, "I think it's all in your head, dude." <laughs> yeah, and um, that was a great moment for for the writers to be able to address uh, what's on our mind. Like, why does Kate always get the best piece of uh, wreckage for the shelter? And like, you guys have this popular kids club and all this stuff. And it, it was just a great way of like, hey, we're gonna mention it. We'll hear from this character. It's addressed. Now we can blow him up and kill him, and we don't have to talk about it again. Yep. All right. So the last part of that of this whole group's uh, montage, though, was the blowing of the hatch. So they, they blow the hatch. Hurley sees the numbers on the hatch, and he's running to try to stomp out this fuse. Jack saves him by knocking him over. Um, the hatch blows open, and... Um, and so the hatch blows open, and after the hatch blows open, you just see this scene of Jack and Locke staring down this rusted, busted-up ladder, and that's how the season ends. That definitely has to be one of the all-time cliffhanger, you know, season-ending moments that... You know, in a, in a way, shows have been trying to match or build on for years. You know, a lot of the you know the yeah. you know Game of Thrones breaking. You know, a lot of great shows really have kind of taken lessons on their season finale cliffhangers from this scene and the, you know this from Lost. And I mean, you spend the whole season trying to get into this hatch. And you think you're going to find out what's in it, and you just don't. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, definitely left people with something to to think about for the next six months, four months, however long it was between season one and season two. 
Yeah, it it was it was interesting. I think the only other lost season finale that left you as much of a cliffhanger as Jack and Locke staring into the hatch because you wanted to know what was in that hatch all all off season was the season five. Season, no, the season, season three, season, probably. Season five, no. Season five where the, they, where they the blow incident. up the... Right, right. The, the bomb, bomb. And all you see is like a white screen. Yeah. You know, you, you don't know what happened. Did it work? Did it send them back? What, well, I got to say, happened? season threes was pretty good as well. That was another classic season ender. You know, we have to go back. Oh, yeah, we have to go back. That, that one's right, right up there with yeah. the all-time great cliffhangers as well. But, um, yeah, that staring down the barrel of the hatch, that that was that was a heck of a way to end the season. It's such an epic scene. I just, I was watching it today and I, I like created this theater setting. I had all the lights off and, and you got to have it like perfect for this episode because it's so dark and it's like the smoke is coming up and they're like walking over in slow-mo and Locke grabs the, the torch and everything. It's, it's awesome. And I, I love that they made this episode longer. Like now thinking about this, like while I watched it, I was thinking, yeah, like there's so many of these moments when it comes to this night, these night scenes with Locke and Jack and, and that, that group, I feel like everything is just a little bit longer because they just drag it out and it, it makes it really cool. I, I def, I did not remember the fact that there was such a long period of time without words at the end of this episode, you know, that it was all just music for the last, what they, we say in the episode notes, like two minutes that like Two I didn't minutes. remember it being that long, but but it definitely was. And you know, there's so much going on, and then you end with this with no dialogue in that that whole time, and it's still telling a really good story without dialogue. Yeah, I think I think yeah. there's some really beautiful moments in there. Like we get that it was so touching at the time, especially uh, the the shot of of Boone and Shannon you know, in the plane, which I think we hadn't really seen Boone come, like we had him come back for that one scene at the airport, but this was, this was a little more of a touching scene uh, in this episode. And then you, you just have a smile exchanged between Locke and Jack and all the, you know, what is it? Hurley's, I love when Hurley, his whole sequence earlier in the episode where he's coming, uh, coming to the airport late, but like when he comes in and he gives, gives a, a nod to Walt just cla- like this just a such a classic scene classic yeah the thing i was going to bring up about this episode while we're talking about this scene i think that you could watch just exodus parts two and three or you know most likely if you watched part one two and three if you had never seen lost at all i think you could watch these episodes this finale and really understand a lot of the story and like get an idea for it i think you know it would be a great experience almost like a movie yeah, I could see that. Because the, the flashbacks give us enough information to be like, okay, these people were strangers. They give us little bits of like, this is what this person was like. Michael and Walt, these guys, you know, they butted heads. And then it shows you where we are today after being on an island for 40 days. It, it's almost, you know, you can understand the complete story really well, which is a testament to like the writing of this episode. To not just... Yeah summarize 
the the end of this season but to summarize everything up to this point yeah all right well so we talked about two groups talk about the last one the raft group well i felt kind of sad this whole episode watching this group because it's this is a fun dynamic i love and I think we should include Sun, even though she's not with them. Like she's kind of like tied yeah. to this this story, her, her and her and Jin, and then their their flashbacks. But I I think it's a great grouping. I love like Michael, Walt, uh, Jin, and uh, Sawyer together. And like after this episode, we never really get that again. So I mean, I was just kind of sad. Like the whole the whole Michael Walt storyline as we know it. And the, and done, his really. relationship with he had like this special relationship with both Sun and Jin is completely done, you know, because Michael kind of goes crazy. Walt is never really a part of anything, and uh, yeah, I know we'll talk yeah, about it, that more it, next season. It, but it does it does really it does really suck though that we weren't able to get more Walt growing um, on the island with everything that his story did get cut kind of short. Yeah, he becomes um, like a hard one of the you know people you could say is like the heart of the island, not right. the, not the location, the heart of the island, but like the life of the party, right? Well, well, they they, yeah. just, oh, they yeah. set up so much stuff with him that they were really unable to pay off. That you know that's kind of the the rough part of that story. There is they just they set up everything with him being special and the bird and the polar bear and all that and. They just—they really weren't able to. That's one of the few things they weren't able to pay off on this show. I think. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. I think it's a. I mean, the the raft is great, like the launching of the raft, and it makes for such a dramatic finale. I mean, the whole kidnapping sequence is really the thing that ties the whole episode logically together. Because otherwise, like, what the heck was the point of everything? Yeah, just the way Rousseau says, you know, they they were there. She heard him say they were coming for the boy, and, and then you had yeah. the realization, oh, that's what they meant. Uh, no, they didn't say boy. She said child. She said she heard them say that then, we're coming for the child. But then she said something about the boy. She said that she heard him say something about getting the boy. I think okay. she said both in that scene. Because I remember her saying "boy," and I and I picked up on it, especially this time too. I like that. That's one line for some reason I never picked up on. I always knew that they were coming for Walt. I always knew that, but I never picked up on that line until this time. Actually, and I've seen it who knows how many times. But that, but the small nuance of were you know I heard them whispers and they told me they were coming for you know the boy. I'm like. Holy crap! I just ca- I just picked up on that. And I've seen the show like 10, well, 12 times. I think now. I always had a I still had a question previously about whether who lit the fire. Did the others light that fire? Did she yeah. light the fire? Uh, the The whole plan, that whole storyline, I I've always been a little confused by. I feel like it made a little bit more sense this time. Um, it is confusing. The logic of it doesn't quite. It's not easy to add up. And they, they kind of lead you to not even think about it. So that's why, like, later, I, th- I feel like it's so easy for all of us to get confused. We're like, wait, who did light the fire? But, yeah. Ryan started the fire. 
<laughs> I, I think that the right answer is that the others did light the fire, did light the fire, but I'm not sure. And it, frankly, in the end, like it doesn't matter that much because there, there definitely was a plan to steal Walt. And for some reason she overheard it. And then she tried to take advantage of that plan by, you know, enacting her own plan. Rousseau really made a lot of, um, made the rounds this episode how she got from the black rock to the beach to that to that fire i mean she covered a lot of ground but she'd been on the island for 16 years <laughs> she knows she knows the shortcuts she, she, knew she enough, was, but and she knew how to make booby traps pretty quick too i just asked charlie she's got those uh, island legs you know she's got that's right it's like a like a so goat we, we have you know to, we, run over mountains I love this dynamic we have on the raft between Michael and Sawyer. Um, these 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 little conversations that they have. You know, the rudder falls off. Sawyer jumps into the water. Michael hands him back his shirt and says, "I don't want you to get burnt." You know, he sees the gun, um, and then you later on you have this conversation while they're both standing there. Michael says, "You know, I bet your dad, you know, s- s- smacked you around a lot." as a kid and then Sawyer says well he didn't have time because pretty much he he put a, you know he blew his brains out he never had time to do that and then you almost see like the shift in Michael and then at the end he he went complaining when Sawyer pulls that gun on the guy of course he's not quick enough because he gets shot well the to me the the whole dynamic between Michael and Sawyer is is really asking the question of that the audience is asking is like, is Sawyer a hero or not? You know, Michael said, you know, you're either a hero or you got a death wish. And, you know, Sawyer says, you know, I'm not, I ain't no hero, Mike, but, uh, his actions say otherwise, you know, he, he dives in right away to save the rudder. He tries to save Walt. Um, he went and chopped down the, the mass to fix that problem. I mean, he's really stepping up as a hero, while trying to deny that or trying to not let people believe that about him. So I thought that was really an interesting dynamic at play in this whole scene. Yeah, Sawyer wants to pretend like he doesn't care about anybody. But the truth is, he tends to care about the people that get put in his life. He just, he runs away from those relationships so quickly that he doesn't have to keep you know, continue being a part of like, you know, in his flashbacks, you see that he always, you know, tends to empathize with whoever is, is part of that story. And then here he acts like he's not a hero, but clearly he cares about Michael and Walt and Jen and him hit his own skin too. Yeah. But, but I do, I do think there's an interesting dynamic, the whole death wish thing. Like you just want to die like you want to you want to suffer that was definitely a thread throughout the season right like with the inhalers yeah. he he never like admitted that he didn't have them cuz he wanted to be hated right that, that was kate's interpretation of that for sure Dumb. so then what walk gets taken and we'll find out next season what happens well, with uh 
with with, with Walt. Uh, by the way, Michael, ne- ne- next time you you know you find a boat in the middle of the ocean, let's not spill the beans about exactly <laughs> who you are, where you're coming from, what's going on. Just light to the sky. He's just sitting there saying, like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." That should have been like the first eerie clue. He's not saying anything and else. Considering the boat that was out um, there was smaller than their boat, <laughs> it was a little tight. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it looks like that light is like a, I don't know, to me it looks like a theater light they just strapped on there. And it's, and I love Sawyer's comment, oh no, it was, no, it's either Sawyer or Michael's comment when they're outside the island and they're going around the island where, where one of them says, how does an island this big not, not ever get spotted or, or go yeah. unknown. And it's, it's really interesting because it sets up the later seasons on why that is. That's a, it's another one of those kind of, I think, addressing fan questions, you know? That, uh, yeah. Yeah. But, so. uh, this sequence well, never gets old. That, like, I love that they tease you, like, when, when, uh, the, the beeping starts getting faster and they start to see the light. Like they have the the Michael Giacchino like all the happiest possible happy music. It's kind of like the launching of the raft, and they're getting closer and they're celebrating, and so like they totally trick the whole audience into thinking like this is legit. They're being rescued, and there's there's no sign of anything yep. fishy. And then of course, uh, you know later I think people look back and you're like, oh dude, look at that guy's beard. It looks fake. This that. Of course, you don't see it right away. And talk about just an ominous line when you when you really think back. Just we're going to have to take the boy. I mean, that just that sends chills down your spine, you know. Oh yeah, it it's yeah so ominous and mysterious. They don't they say so little the others that you have so many ideas in your head of who they could be, what they could be doing. It's so funny looking back on this that this is the same guy who's, you know, playing playing football with Jack at the at New Other Ten, you know. He's just this <laughs> lovable character through towards the end of the show, but you know, here he is stealing babies and or stealing kids and <laughs> Yeah. You know, I don't think Mr. Friendly really has the best form. <laughs> Uh, when it comes to football, but he puts yeah. in a lot of effort. He runs down one of those passes, and it's like pretty, it's pretty surprising how spry that guy is out there. Oh my, oh my. What? Well, is there anything else, guys, before we head into our well, closing? Yeah, sections? That one other little part of the raft storyline that I personally really enjoyed was, you know, you say that this was kind of the end of Michael and Walt's journey, their reconciliation, but I love the conversation where. Michael finally, you know, tells him, you know, hey, Walt asks, why didn't, you know, why did I never hear from you? What? And, you know, Michael, still trying to be a good dad, just, you know, he says, your mom didn't want me to. She she thought she was doing what was right. So, you know, he's still trying to say the right thing. And I loved Walt. So, you know, she was wrong. And, you know, I, I've gone on record of my hatred of Susan Porter many times. I mean, I really am glad that. <laughs> Walt finally learned the truth that, you know, Michael didn't abandon him, you know, he, his mom kept him from him and, you know, he, that was the wrong thing to do. And I'm glad, I'm glad Walt came around yeah. to that. Yeah. What you see is you, you see just a little bit of honesty back and forth between the two of them. And sometimes you can't, you can't just paint everything to be perfect in whatever relationship it is. And they both, you know, accepted a few things and, 
it's not like they're throwing dirt on on uh, Susan's grave as much as Stephen may want that. <laughs> give me, give me the, give but, me the show. He's just being honest. He's just like. Hey. But I also another little thing in the flashback, just brutal, brutal scene was when Michael was at the airport talking to his mom, you know, or talking to Michael's mom, saying, you know, can you take, can you take him? You know, this wasn't the plan. I don't know how to do this. And Walt, we don't know for sure if he overheard that whole conversation. You know, he says, I need batteries. But, man, if Walt heard him saying that, there's no wonder that they had such a strained relationship on the island. You know, he's thinking, this guy's saying he's my dad, but he's, you know, doesn't even want me. So to get from that low point at the airport to where they ended up, I, I think was a good journey. Um, even though it's about to take a very bad turn. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And that's one of those things that's hard, like at this point to watch, cause they have such a great story. Like, they have one of the best stories of the first season and you just know how tragic it becomes. It's a little sad. Uh, a little, an, an additional fun fact about, uh, that scene, uh, where, it's actually a continuity error in a in a way. Walt is playing that little Game Boy, right? I had one of these as a kid too. It's the Game Boy <laughs> Advanced SP. Yep. It's the first one that flipped open like that. Uh, anyways, he goes and he asks uh, Michael, "Can I get some more batteries?" That was like the whole point of him going over to him. Well, specifically, that's the first Game Boy that has no batteries. You charge <laughs> it with a cord. There there are no yep. batteries that you can put in that Game Boy. That's but, uh, it, it, that, that was pretty cool. I'm sure that they knew that. You know, whoever had the you know the prop master, they're like, "There's you don't put batteries in this," and they're probably like, "Well, we don't care. It, it works for the scene. How many people know that? Who's gonna know? Like a <laughs> couple thousand people, but whatever. Cool, uh, cool. You know, did we? All right. I just say, did ahead. we have got, it? Did we want to have any more conversations about any of the flashbacks? We haven't really touched on the flashbacks too much. Um, you know, we start off with, you know, Michael, Michael and Walt. Um, I okay, that was last episode started with Michael and Walt, but we see the son and Jen scene again. Um, this time without really kind of a cool moment in the bathroom where you think this guy's just trying to make conversation. Then you realize, oh shoot, this guy works for Mr. Pack and knows that Jen's trying to escape. That's kind of an important detail in the the whole ongoing son and jen story um, mm-hmm. yeah i think this is a really really cool flashback actually because it makes you really dive uh deep into wondering what happened here like with they just have a cool story and the fact that that uh we don't really know was Jin really going to run away with with son or was he not going to we, we never really get the answer it doesn't really matter but I do love that they pose this question again and remind us why they had such a horrible relationship to, to start this the show. I did like the ending montage of you see everybody on the plane, you see everybody looking at one, and like I mentioned earlier, Hurley looking at Walt. Then you have, you know, Jack and Locke <laughs> looking at one another. Uh, and kind of giving you know, good to see you, good to see you too. Poor Locke, and, and poor Locke having un- to get carried unknowing. onto the plane. <laughs> yes, that was brutal. Oh man, it was just, 
I lo- I I did love Hurley picking up the uh, the flight attendant <laughs> right there, just giving her a big hug before he gets into the goes onto the on ramp. That was pretty cool. Yeah, so. I think these flashbacks are are pretty awesome. But I, I think we'll talk a little bit more about these uh, when we talk about the season as a whole next episode. Because basically, the story of each flashback is like look where everybody was at the beginning of the season before they crashed on this island, and then look you know, when they're complete strangers and how they look at each other as strangers and now look where, where they're at now. Right. All right. Well, uh, in memoriam though, for this episode, uh, on one of our newer sections, we have to pay homage to Dr. Leslie arts. So goodbye arts. He, d- he didn't, nice. he didn't even get uh, a bur- a burial in the, the, on Boone's Hill in the, in the cemetery. Unless they, unless they picked no, up all the pieces and he w- brought them back, but I don't think. I, I I'm pretty <laughs> sure the wild boar probably um, took care of Arts. You know, on the island, Arts. Uh, you could have been a member of the cool kids club, but you blew it. <laughs> oh, oh my, that was funny. Uh, so. All right, let's do it. Steven, 15, 16 seconds. Give me your overall thoughts on this episode. Um, really great way to end the season. Um, your first big season-ending cliffhanger just, uh, you know, kind of tied up the whole season trying to get into this hatch. We finally get into it, and we don't get an answer. Just a really crazy way. And that and the, the ominous Walt getting stolen at the end. Heck of a way to end the season. Um, just good, solid episode. Good, good. Corey, how about you? Yeah, I, I would say this is like a, a perfect episode. You have the perfect amount of um, plot and storytelling, interesting island stuff going on, and then so much uh, great character work and these emotional moments. And it's just blended together perfectly. So, that, that, you know, amazing episode. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was good 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 as well. I thought it was written very well, directed very well. Uh, the music was was right on par. It sets up a lot of things for season two, and it puts a lot of people in different places. Obviously, we're going to see, you know, the raft crew end up with the other side of the plane, um, and see how that that storyline will turn out. Um, but it sets up a lot of things between Jack and Locke, especially in the next season and in the seasons to come. So, good episode good episode all right now we got our i'm gonna rate this episode um on a scale of one out of 23 sweaty sticks of dynamite um (laughs) sweaty sticks of dynamite so uh, mike what what are we rating this episode uh 23 out of 23 man 23 out of 23 sweaty sticks of dynamites i there's so much in these two episodes that just that's just it, it's ground again it's groundwork for future seasons and just the music itself the dialogue the the, the lines just absolutely on par so 23 out of 23 sweaty sticks of that they're dynamite All right, Corey, how many sticks of dynamite well i, I i'm right there with you this episode is dynamite <laughs> boom this <laughs> boom explosive. no it is it the 23 out of 23 pure dynamite it it uh, perfect score for me all 
Alright, I myself gave it a 22 out of 23. Um, no real complaints. I think just out of the episode, you know, out of the three part finale, I think I like the part one a little bit better. Um, but, you know, certainly no complaints here. The ending was awesome. Um, not a bad score at all, but I just gave it 22 out of 23. Sweet. Sweet. All right, so to kind of end some things, uh, we had a couple of other names in our name dictionary. Uh, in Sawyer's name dictionary, he calls Jen Chewy and Walt Gazoo. Uh, as far as pop culture references, uh, The Wages of Fear, the dynamite transport scene, and are an homage to The Wages of Fear movie. The plot and the extraordinarily intense movie involves transport of dangerous explosives in a desperate situation with few safety precautions. It is also the idea of separating into two groups that keep their distance from one another, planning for the worst-case scenario of one of them not making it, that the other will reach the destination and adequate explosive to accomplish the mission. Uh, Redemption song. Yeah. I, I, I didn't even know that. Um, so it makes sense now that they had six, three and one, three and yeah. another. Um, Redemption song. R- Sawyer starts to sing this song from Bar Marley, the beginning of the first verse, which he does not sing aloud. Has lyrics that are somewhat prophetic towards Walt. Old pirates, yes they rob. I sold I to the merchant ships. The second verse could also be viewed because it contains "Have no fear for atomic energy" because none of them can stop the time. <laughs> Exodus is also the name of a Bob Marley song and the name of this episode. Yeah, and redemption. Great. Redemption is a major theme. So all that all that ties in. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. This this is man. Everybody likes Bob Morley. Uh, Star Wars. When Sawyer explained that they need to fire the flare, he refers to Michael and Jen as Han Han and Chewie. Um, and then we've already talked about this. Odd. The game of Operation Lock refers to extracting the dynamite from the Black Rock as being similar to this Milton Bradley game. Yeah, I never liked that game. So I hated it. Uh, I always hated that one and the one that you had that 60-second timer and you had to put all the little <laughs> shape pieces in. Oh, yeah, that was a good pop one. Pop up, whatever that crap is. I hate that game. Uh, so that's it for Season 1. So here's what we're going to do. Our next episode, before we go into Season 2, um, we're going to kind of take a retrospective episode. So what we're going to do is each one of us are going to write down, it's going to be hard, guys, but five things that we remember the most or had the most impact on us in season one all right Uh, so 25 episodes (laughs) to find five things and then maybe two or three things we'll talk about it off air maybe two or three things on what we expect from season two and look forward to in season two to come and uh we'll we'll kind of see where that heads out and we'll do a line how like a retrospective episode and we're also going to learn about the mystery of the salt in the microwave. So stay the tuned salt. for that. <laughs> oh, if you can help me, <laughs> let me know where that came from. <laughs> so, uh, but look, guys, you can reach out to us on Twitter uh, at RetroZapped at Lost Rewatch Pod. Um, you can find me at the DC Fanboy on Twitter. Steve, where can I they am find at you, Lucky sir? Lucky13Steve on Twitter. And Corey, what about you? I am at Original Mav on Twitter. All right, and like always, you can find us on the RetroZap 
Discord. Why don't you jump on in there and tell us what your thoughts are as far as uh, your best thoughts for Season 1 and what you look forward to in Season 2. So check all those things out. Go to RetroZap.com for any more information. So anything else, guys, before we um, blow this hatch and um, <laughs> stare down into the mysterious, mysterious void for a while? I got nothing. I'm, I might go put some pepper in my microwave just to mess with my roommates. Oh, oh you're funny. Funny man there. Funny man. I know. So. I got, I... All right. Well, it's been great to talk to you guys again. It's been great to do, record this episode. So until next time, we'll catch you on Previously on Lost. Have a, Peace have out. A good one. Peace out. Bye.